Hey guys, the date is April 14, 2013. You're listening to Free Admission on freeadmissionfr.com and also available on iTunes. I am Ben Turpin. First, I want to apologize for not doing the preview audios for WrestleMania weekend, like I stated I would. Regardless, I am back and I am going to review every show that I attended, um, which was a lot of shows, I believe 10 in total. Um, so to say the least, I will be breezing through these as quick as possible. WrestleMania weekend, Secaucus, New Jersey, East Rutherford, New Jersey, labeled by the WWE as New York and New Jersey, WrestleMania. I don't know if I should save this for after, but what I will say is that I never want to go back to either of those places. A place that wasn't either of those was where I saw the first show, Pro Wrestling Syndicate, my first Supercard 2013 Night 1 in Metuchen, New Jersey, which I can't say is exactly a place I would want to go either, again. Um, you don't go to PWS for the booking, you go for the novelty and the random matches, and the show delivered in that aspect. Trimperetta, Sanjay Dutt, Dan Moff, Kevin Steen, Necro Butcher, who I haven't seen in a number of years. 2010, late 2010, I think was the last time that I saw him live. John Morrison and Elijah Burke working a ECW main event from 2000. When, when did ECW go off the air? 2007, 2008? Probably later than that. But total ECW match, not a good thing. Uh, just went very long. But it's not like I blame either guy. John Morrison only knows how to work one way, and I think Elijah's the same way. The Pope. Rock and Roll Express of Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson against the Briscoes was six minutes. Actually, I don't even think it went six minutes. I think it went sub-five minutes. And I think the Briscoes got the heat on Gibson. Morton makes the hot tag. And a drop kick, a, du- a dual drop kick was the finish, I believe, on Jay. So I think technically that makes Ricky Morton now the number one contender for the Ring of Honor World Title. Uh, there was a couple of other things. There was a big battle royal that had Human Tornado in it. That was the highlight. A couple of other randoms, Hurricane Helms. Uh, and then the main event, Jushin Liger, who I got to see twice this weekend, or this past weekend, Tony Nese and Davey Richards. Actually, pretty fun 10.5-minute match. We got a clean finish. There was no shenanigans like pretty much every other match had. Um, the one thing I took away from this match was that I want to see Tony Nese and Davey Richards as soon as possible, but that seems all but impossible at this point in time, unfortunately. Tony Nese uh, essentially signing in the WWN Live Universe, Davey Richards in the ROH Universe. Um, but again, that match was originally scheduled just to be one-on-one on this show, but it's not like it's exactly going to be put in the best position in PWS, and I don't think it's exactly the company where they're going to necessarily go all out, even if they were put in the position. Not to question their work ethic or anything of that nature, but their exchanges in the match were incredible. Like, they were noticeably... they, they, they And it wasn't because Liger was necessarily slow. I mean, Liger isn't the Liger that he was in his prime, but... They were, everything they did was so on point and was just like, honestly, like, like, like I dropped my mouth. Like, that's how impressed I was by their exchanges. Just so quick, so crisp, and um, hopefully a singles match in a prominent place or a relevant place can happen sooner or later. And I think Tony Nese, 
I think now that he's in the WWN Live universe, I think hopefully he'll get a little more attention because he certainly deserves it. The second show I attended, so that was in Metuchen, New Jersey. I went from the Newark Airport to Metuchen uh, on Thursday the 4th, hung out there with a friend for a few hours, then hung around Metuchen, which there's not too much to do in Metuchen, New Jersey. Um, and then we, that night, back to Secaucus, and then at 4 p.m. the next day, or I guess 4.30 to 4.45 p.m. the next day, we got the Evolve 19, the Evolve Title Tournament. Um, this is a show I feel like I don't have to, you know, this should be an easy one to get through, just because I think everything that has been said about it at this point, you know, I mean, almost a full week later, and I'm doing a review on this. Um, bad booking, bad crowd bad issues, you know, iPay-per-view issues, pretty much a disaster in every conceivable way, and even in the one area that you usually don't have to worry about when it comes to the WWN Live Universe, at least with Dragon Gate USA and Evolved, is I thought the work, too, was maybe a little under the standard, and I don't think it was necessarily that the work was under standard, it was just that I think part of it, and I think for an example right off the bat, that four-way with Sammy, Jigsaw, Rich Swann, and Samurai Del Sol. Sometimes, just, there seems to be those shows where every opportunity, like, you already have a bad crowd, but the, the, the people were there in numbers. I mean, there was four or five hundred people there. Where they're kind of itching, or they're almost at a point where you're going to get them into a match, and then somebody botches something, and Samurai Del Sol botched his, like, middle rope dive twice in this match, and it was like at both, I thought in both instances, like, if he would have hit that solidly, or just hit it, you know, without completely fucking it up, the crowd would have been into the match, and he didn't, he messed it up both times, and I think that was kind of a tendency or a pattern that kind of ended up repeating itself over the course of the night. The tag match with Brian Kendrick and Gargano against Gulak and Orange Cassidy, I've said it before, I'm just, I like the character breakup on shows with Gulak and Cassidy, but I think it hinders the work too much, especially when we all know what they're capable of, which is a lot more than this. I think on some cards it works fine. On other cards where it's severely lacking, like this one ultimately turned out to be, it's a problem, especially when the match gets like 15 minutes, and they actually tried to have a pretty entertaining tag match, but it just didn't work. Nobody cared. No, not that it didn't work. Nobody cared. Like, pretty much every match, so that goes without saying. Um... And they tried to do... I mean, they did They did a good amount. You know, they tried to have a good match, um, but just didn't necessarily turn out as good as I, as I would have hoped or as I think they would have liked. Um, and again, I think a big part of that is just Cassidy and Gulak's character work. Um, and again, not to be repetitive, but it doesn't help when I know what they're capable of in other places. I don't want to talk about the booking. The booking is pretty obvious. I mean, you had Sammy Callahan already work one match previously to get to the next round against the number one seed Chuck Taylor and they establish his injury by having him jump in the ring and that's when it happened. Chuck Taylor looked like a total geek. Not that he's not. I mean, he's a total geek. That's pretty much what he's been relegated to in Dragon Gate USA and Evolve. Not that he should necessarily be any more than that. I'm fine with it. Um, I think this match went like eight or nine minutes. I think people were... I think people were at first kind of deflated because I think they bought that Sammy actually injured himself. And I think part of it was, even myself, was that it would have been such a stupid booking move to 
to have him injure himself that way or to be injured that way that I almost bought into it. Maybe that was the idea, but rather than help me buy into it and get behind Sammy, it really just deflated me, and I thought this match was, like, really terrible. And it didn't help that, like, Taylor couldn't figure out which leg to work. Um, so, I mean, I figured out pretty quickly that that was just the way that it was booked. Fox and Ricochet, probably one of the two positives of the show. This was probably, by a little bit, the best match they've had. I know that's not saying too much. The, mo- the match at Evolve 17 was essentially just that, a match, kind of the minimum that you would expect from the two. And then they had that respect match at the November Northeast Triple Shot for Dragon Gate USA, which was a main event match, but uh, was a little different, which I can appreciate. Um, but not exactly, again, at the level that you'd expect, especially for them to be on the main event of that show. Um, and here, I think they went like 12, 13, 14 minutes, something like that. And um, Fox wins his first match by disqualification. He wins his second match by the distraction, essentially, of Christina Von Eri to Ricochet. And then stuff happened after the main event. I'll talk about that. Cannon and Reed, terrible segment. Super Smash Brothers and Young Bucks. I mean, this was a condensed version of, you know, I mean, it was it was essentially a tag match that was the first show in a triple shot where you knew both teams were going to have matches the next two nights. Um, it was good. It, it could have been really good if the crowd cared in the absolute least, but they didn't. Um, and that was, you know, Super Smash Brothers won. The Young Bucks won the tag titles the next night, so it's going to set up a rematch, and I'm sure the next match will be far superior to this one. Fox and Callahan, they actually went pretty lengthy in the main event. I felt pretty uncomfortable. This was a rare circumstance live where I felt very uncomfortable during this main event because I just thought they were doing a lot of stupid things. When Fox missed that dive and pretty much went headfirst into the floor and then took those back bumps on the guardrail and then he had like a pretty vicious cut on his back and on his arm that was bleeding, like... It was just tough for me to, like, sit through that. And, um, like, the show had already been a disaster. And knowing that I could have been at ROH, I don't know. Not that I really... Like, that didn't really bother me too much. But I knew ROH was going to be a better show than this. And I knew that ROH would be a better show than CZW. But at least I guess I got more wrestling for my... I don't know. Not that I needed it anymore. Um, Evolve 19, not a good show. It's unfortunate. This is kind of the relaunch for Evolve in ways. And... This definitely wasn't the show that they wanted to put forth. And it's really unfortunate, too, because I think Evolve's been on quite a run, personally. Ever since Evolve 10 and 11, but really 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, I thought were all at minimum solid shows. I think I've said it before, that Evolve, after, especially after 10 and 11, really needed to go on a stretch of, of just for like a year, if not longer, good, solid shows, and they pretty much did that until Evolve 19, which was arguably the most watched and the one with the most attention, so once again, somehow, whether it be booking, just everything, going against them, didn't turn out too good. Then that night, CZW Live at WrestleCon, definitely going to go through this show very quickly. Ariel Salt, Air Fox, Chiva Kid, who went as... Something Everett. I should know. They unmasked him. Lucky 13, Rich Swan, Shane Hollis, or Shane Strickland. Funnest match on the show. There was a lot of ridiculous spots in this match. There was a 
I love the uh, sequence where every guy was lined up in the corner and Air Fox did a cannonball. Shiva Kid, I thought, stole the match personally. I mean, did one of the most impressive and what's a what's an appropriate word to kind of describe it? Just his shooting star was like so beautiful, really. Uh, the springboard shooting star that he did the outside. Then he missed a double moonsault, um, which looked really good as well. And that was pretty much all he did. I think he has a real presence about him. I think uh, he has a good... I think uh, he had... You know, he's just a guy where he gives off... And, and being in the entrance aisle, like for his entrance, and when he was coming back, like how he played off the crowd, I thought was just... I think the guy is a star, and I think that... So naturally, CZW would be the first one to kind of like give him a regular gig, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if within a reasonable amount of time, Gabe probably gives him an opportunity. Um, he's really a guy. Like I think National Pro Wrestling Day was kind of where he really stole the show and was kind of like, and that's what got him the CZW bookings. Um, but he's kind of really come on quickly, I think, and he looked really good at best of the best. I think, and he he's not sloppy. Like he might just. Be, I've seen a fair amount of Chiva Kid matches, and it's funny because I don't recall him ever doing that shooting. Like I've seen probably half a dozen Chiva Kid matches at the absolute minimum, and I've never seen him do a double moonsault, and I never saw him do that shooting star. And he really executed them very well. So I think it's important for a high flyer when that's like your main kind of like arsenal is that you're very crisp and very good at it, as opposed to being sloppy. Uh, skip, skip, skip. Uh, Biff Busick was at uh, one point on this show, which was a highlight. Greg, Greg Excellent and Cole Caban I thought was fun. The uh, Siberian Death Squad against the Christ Brothers. I'm not sure what their name is. Irish Airborne. I know it's not that anymore. But uh, Michael Dante and Tommy End. This was the match I was looking forward to the most on the show. And I would say it was a good match. It wasn't anything overwhelming. But I thought Dante and End looked really good. Um, I think uh, I think this match could have probably gotten a little more time and maybe you know been given the opportunity to go to another level. Unfortunately, it was not. Callahan and Kendrick was exactly what I expected. For some reason, people had expectations for this match. I don't know why. Masada and Jun uh, Jun Kasai was fine. You know, it was exactly what I expected. Personally, not my cup of tea, but. You know, when I only see it live, like, I've really only seen matches like this now twice live, and actually it was in the last four months that both of them happened, so you're not going to hear me complain too much. I went to Keiju Big Batal, and I probably just pronounced that wrong, and somebody will tell me if I did pronounce it wrong. I originally wasn't going to go to that show, but I ended up getting a free ticket right before. Uh, wackiness ensued. After we actually watched, uh, me and JP, we watched like half of... Supercard of Honor. At this point, it was like 4 a.m., and I finally passed out. To get up and do four shows in the span of, what, 14 and a half, 15 hours, something like that. Um, the first show we saw was Shimmer, Volume 53. This was Saturday. Um, okay, my, I might come off overly harsh on this show. Um, first, I thought this show sucked. I really did. I was incredibly displeased with the matches that they booked coming in. Some of them, I like, 
you know, it's it, it's it's ideally a showcase, and it's uh, it's it's a showcase show where you put on matches that that that's going to introduce an audience to your product. I mean, this was a lot of a lot of people's first time seeing Shimmer. It was their biggest crowd ever, and that's cool. That's why I think I'm not going to complain too much about some of the matches that they booked. Uh, like Jesse McKay and Madison Eagle was fine to do that. Hamada and Athena was was probably the best match on the show, and that's a fine match to book. The first one, I'm sure, was better that I've heard was kind of highly touted, and this was like the big rematch. Um, my biggest complaint of this show was, and I don't think I've made it any secret, was the fact that, like, and maybe she's hurt, maybe I'll give them credit for that, but that Kana got thrown in a four-way tag elimination. This was her debut in the Northeast. You know, uh, maybe labeled as her debut on the East Coast. Granted, she was on Shakara's Burlington show and Kingsport, Tennessee, which I was fortunate enough to see her for, so this wasn't kind of like my first live experience and probably my only, um, you know, that that will happen and probably the only time that a lot of people have an opportunity to see her because they're certainly not going to Berwyn and she's not going to be booked on any other shows. Um, and I got to see her have a 20-minute Shakara main event with Sarah Del Rey, so I'm not, like overly annoyed, but I'm overly annoyed because she got stuck in this match. And maybe, you know, look, if I'm giving them credit or giving them the benefit of the doubt, look, Lefisto got hurt. Maybe they had to switch things up and they went home early. It seemed kind of rocky after she got injured. But at the same time, there's five other girls in the match. Work around it. Seriously. Um, she was in the ring for all of maybe like two or three minutes. And I just disagree with him booking this match. And then naturally... Just because these shows are happening as I'm recording this, uh, Shimmer 56, I think, is happening. Well, 54, 55, 57 would be going on as I'm recording this. They did her and Jesse McKay, which is actually a rematch from the Burlington Shakara match that they did. They did Madison Eagles, which was actually originally supposed to be the Burlington match, um, but Madison Eagles got injured. And then they did her in a four-way, and I think they might be doing her and cheerleader Melissa. I may sound ignorant because that might not be what they're doing at all, but based on what's happened on 57 so far and who's left and the win that Kana got at 56, I think it was to set up her and cheerleader Melissa, and when that does, I'm sure you can see me on Twitter being very displeased about it. Um, Mia Yim and Amazing Kong. I mean, Mia Yim is probably one of my favorite female wrestlers to watch right now. So... I'm not going to see her live that often. I actually have seen her live now twice in a month because I saw her at the TNA show. Kong is not... Th there's a good dynamic there, but... And it was an okay match because of that dynamic, but I would have rather seen Mia Yim against somebody else, like pretty much anybody else. She Her Lion Salt, by the way, is incredible. Um, I believe it was Shine 7 or Shine 8. When they, I think it was when they did the six-man on one of the shines, and she did the best line salt I've ever seen. The air she got was just awe-inspiring, honestly. Mercedes Martinez and Kurihara. Kurihara, her final appearance in the U.S. is she's retiring. She wasn't there this weekend for Shimmer. Um, maybe it's not fair because I haven't seen a lot of Mercedes Martinez, but I'm just, like, not really that big of a fan. Again, the dynamic I thought was good for this match. I, I love Corey Hart. She's, like, one of my two or three, like, top female wrestlers. Kana is number one if it's not obvious enough. Uh, Sarah Del Rey would be there if she was around. Uh, but she's doing other things at the moment. Um, this was a good match. This might have been in contention for the best match on the show. But, again, I just would have rather seen Corey Hart against somebody else. 
Madison Eagles and Jesse McKay was okay. I already kind of alluded to it. I already said Athena and Hamada was probably, you know, tied for the best match on the show. Um, I assume the first one was better. Um, and then the cage match for the Shimmer title, they did a title switch back to Truly to Melissa from Soraya Knight. It was fine. The finishing sequence was good. They did the power bomb like into Hurricane Rana from like the top of on top of the turnbuckle or on top of the cage. Well, not top of the cage isn't appropriate, but whatever. Anybody who's listening to this probably saw it and they know what I'm referencing, and that was really cool. But other than that, I I actually was probably a little underwhelmed by this match and expected more. So Shimmer 53 happened, and it's Shimmer. Um, I just think they should have booked a better show, honestly. Again, maybe that's not fair. Uh, Shakara, I actually got a fourth row seat for this show, and I wish I had taken advantage of it, because it turned out to be the hottest crowd up to that point, and, I mean, I still could have went back to my seat, and it was the biggest Shakara crowd of all time. A uh, thousand plus, I think. I, we never got, like, an official number, but it was said to be a thousand plus. Um, and I, I, the thing was, is I went and I sat down on my seat and I was like profusely sweating within like the first two minutes. And I was just like, I can't handle this. And I went and I sat in the back. I was a lot more comfortable, a lot more spacious. So then again, at the same time, maybe I don't wish that I had went and sat back in that seat. Um, Saturday and Cobalt, good opener, didn't overstay its welcome. I think these types of matches last year, and maybe this is just like completely off the radar completely not true i felt like there were random matches like this last season in shikara and maybe it's a pattern that has always plagued shikara that it's just i'm not remembering or i'm not paying attention or i don't care to do either of those things they like overstayed their welcome and this just went six minutes and it shouldn't have went any more than six minutes so it was fine good opener again the crowd was uh, I can't underestimate the crowd on this show because it just made the show so much more enjoyable. I thought it was much like Shimmer in ways, you know, I complimented them for saying the card was okay in terms of introducing fans and being a showcase card. I thought Shakara knocked it out of the park from that element. The four-way tag elimination I thought was a lot of fun. I've seen some pretty low marks for this one, um, but I thought it was a ton of fun. Um, the Especially the dive sequence and then Mr. Touchdown doing the kneeling pose, or I don't even know, what's it called, the Tebow pose, that was fantastic, and the crowd loved it. The Fist, Akuma, Janetti, Scott Parker, Shane Matthews, 8-man Atomicos match was so damn fun. I think I compared it to TJ Hawk during the main event, who came in late during the show before the Dragon Gate USA event and said that it was reminiscent of the Indianapolis, I think, 10-man that they did um, on the show with ACH and Touchdown in the finals of the Young Lions Cup. Maybe it wasn't as fun as that match, but it was pretty damn close. Peck and Donst for the third time this season. I don't remember anything about the match, just like I don't remember anything about the first two, other than I was in attendance for two of the three of them. Uh, we got another Atomicos match uh, with the Arctic Rescue Ant, Missile Assault Ant, Orbit Adventure Ant, and Soldier Ant against Sable Ant, Fire Ant, Frightmare, and Green Ant. A lot of ants. I think this is probably the most ants we've ever seen in a match. The shenanigans and props were toned way down. Um, 
with the Colony Extreme Force. They just kind of ended up having a fun, like, 10-minute match. Fine. Could have been a lot more offensive, especially based on what they did in Florida. Or at least in in ladder in Florida, in, re- in reference to, like, Orlando. Eddie Kingston and Hollow get for the Grand Championship. Eddie Kingston's hand, wrist must be really messed up. Luckily, he's going to have a good amount of... I mean, he will have had, like, essentially one match in two months. So, I expect the Green Ant match and the Mr. Touchdown match, if those are the matches that ultimately take place um, when they come down to the South late, early next month, that they get time. I think the biggest problem with this, like was that it, it was just too short. I don't think the people bought into any of Hollow Wicked's stuff because it was like seven minutes in. He was hitting all his stand, you know, he was hitting all his uh, kind of like big offense and they went for more of like a 10 minute sprint. I don't know if it was just that was the way the match was booked and that was the route that they wanted to go as opposed to having a standing and an extended singles match. But I think that's kind of what the crowd was feeling. And so I don't think the like the crowd was into it, but I don't think because it never really developed. They just kind of went in there and, like, went right to it. I don't think the crowd... I don't know. They just were never really able to kind of, like, get into it fully. Um, And I think it was kind of a missed opportunity. But again, maybe, you know, Eddie Kingston's wrist, arm, hand is a little more messed up than than we know. I mean, obviously, he couldn't work green at in Florida, but that was the next day. This was almost a full month later. And two months when he has to come down here and defend against green at Mr. Touchdown. Main event of the show, Jushin Liger and Quack against Jigsaw and Shard. Uh, Liger was spoiled by New Japan themselves, but Quack would not budge or announce it. The pop for Liger was super awesome, to say the least. Um, the reaction to the match in general, uh, I was kind of like, I was kind of off and on in terms of paying attention uh, because I was having a conversation during the match, but. Uh, and it was, it was hard to have that conversation because the crowd was so loud. So, yeah, definitely a really fun show. Again, commend them for kind of having, like, that introductory kind of, like, showcase show, which I think is important. Not necessarily important, but I think it's the proper type of show to have on these types of weekends. Um, but at the same time, I think there's other ways to look at it where maybe it's not necessarily... Open the Ultimate Gate 2013 Dragon Gate USA. This was the show of the weekend, at least that I attended for sure. Um, I know some people like tried to debate that uh, maybe like ROH was better. Um, the top four to five matches on here, and this is a word that JP uses often in terms of like it, it over delivered. They over delivered. I want to use PWG as an example because I think it's the best company to do it. I don't think it's any, necessarily any secret, or I think I've said it on maybe a podcast or two before, that I think PWG right now is a tad bit overrated. I think they've had a lot of very good shows recently, and the standard and expectation there is very high, so maybe that's part of it. But they, the trend in late 2010 with like Steen Wolf and Fear, and then they had DDT4 2011... That was a period where they had three, four, five, maybe a half a dozen shows that over-delivered. I really feel like PWG, and they certainly have things that over-deliver, but I feel like more often than not, they're just kind of in a spot now where they're delivering, which again, I think part of that is the fact that the expectation in the bar is so high there. And I'm not saying that the shows aren't great or very good, not very good, and 
not worth the money or anything, you know, ridiculous like that, because I think they deserve all the attention, and I think they deserve a lot of the hype, and a lot of the things that people say about them, they deserve. They deserve those labels and those tags. Um, and maybe it, maybe it's just the crowd, and that was, you know, this is the first string. I mean, these crowds were, this, this particular crowd was, like, way better than either my, well, I can't speak for the first Miami Dragon Gate USA crowd, but it was far superior to the second night. And mind you, that was a good crowd, but it just added tremendously to everything. I th- because I think you look at a lot of Dragon Gate USA shows, and I think they are this consistent. Maybe they're not as consistent, but a good crowd, I think, would just take all those shows to the next level. But that's really a point that's been made a hundred times and everybody agrees on. Swan and Kendrick, um, I know there was, I, I got in a couple conversations for whatever reason about this opening over the six-way. I'm kind of fine with it, actually. Um, the six-way, I think, was going to get an overwhelming response no matter what spot in the card it was on, so I think Kendrick and Swan, in a way, kind of benefits from being in the opener because it's that opening spot, and that's always going to have, like, the opening spot type of crowd, um, as opposed to if it had to follow the six-way, the crowd would have just been completely dead. Scott Reed and Derek Rise was a thing that happened. Trent and John Davis, crowd was all over John Davis. At least he was getting some heat, I guess. I don't know if it was good or bad heat, necessarily. Um, Eden Tomahawk TT against Super Smash Brothers. I haven't rewatched this. If I recall correctly, it started kind of like whatever, but by the end, the crowd was really into it, and it really like totally delivered, over delivered to my expectations. Uh, the finishing sequence with uh, like Eda doing the walk on the ro- the like the tight rope Hurricane Rana spot, and then doing the you know the backflip to the outside. Great finishing stretch. Ricochet Tazawa was awesome. I think you have two bona fide great matches on this show too, which I don't think happens too often now. Um, the there was a seri- uh, there was a spot in this match. Uh, first off, the spot where he did where Ricochet did the double springboard shooting star press was very impressive. Uh, basically said, "Take that, Chiva kid." Uh, and then there was the sequence where they were doing, like, you know, the dueling moves before they both kind of, like, pass out on the mat, and Ricochet pops up and hits, like, that kick. Oh, my God, I lost it. Um, Ricochet gets the win. I'm not going to take... I'm not going to talk about... You know, I had a lot of discussions over the course of the weekend about a lot of heel-face dynamics. I didn't even touch that on the Evolve show in terms of, like, Sammy Callahan's direction. Is he a heel? Is he a face? He cuts a he cuts a heel promo, then he turns face. A heel face in terms of his work, just very inconsistent all around. Ricochet was essentially a face here against Akira Tozawa with Christina Von Eri and Mad Blanky. And although he's a heel in Japan, and then he was like a heel the night before against AR Fox. And there's a lot of weird heel face dynamics. Personally, I don't care about those things. Um I mean it's I think it's something that's worth noting when it's as obvious and poorly done in ways, or where it's just so shoddy. I think it's worth noting, but ultimately, I mean, as long as the match is delivered, that's all that really matters to me. Uha Nation and Sammy Callahan, I have no idea why this match went so long. It went like 16 minutes, 15 plus at least. This was not a good weekend for Uha in terms of a reintroduction. I'm not sure what Gabe was thinking. The, um, like half like, the evolve like that was like half. Let's let's be honest. Like half of 
four to five hundred people were there for Evolve. They were the same four to five hundred that made up like the eight or nine hundred that were there for Dragon Gate USA. So they saw his debut the night before. So, like, and this was kind of like a reintroduction for Uha. It should have just been a showcase weekend, really. And I think that was the intention with the Scott Reed Eric Cannon segment, or that match, that being an ODQ match. And also, I didn't talk about the scene getting split up, but I guess I can talk about that when I talk about the next Dragon Gate USA show, which was the following afternoon. Um, yeah, and then he just has this extended kind of like 50-50 match with Sammy Callahan that just did nothing for me. Uha's not the type of guy that should be working singles matches that are that long. I mean, he's going to have to work them to get better, but there are other ways, and this was not the way. But it was it was okay. It wasn't bad or anything. The Bucks won the tag titles from Fox and Chima. This is probably the one match of those top five that just kind of, like, delivered for me. I think they'll probably do a rematch, and it'll be a main event, and they'll go all out. Not that they didn't deliver, like, a really good match here, but when I talk about over-deliver, delivering, I think this match just delivered. Gargano and Shingo, lots been said about the finish. I want to say this first. A year and a half ago, if you were to ask me, a year and a half ago up to when this match was announced, or when it happened, if you were to ask me my number one match that could have happened in Dragon Gate USA... I would have said this match. So to say the least, I was overwhelmingly excited and hyped for this match. The match delivered exponentially, um, over-delivered, to use that word again. I feel like I can have different perspectives on the finish. Part of, part of it, looking at Okay, Gabe is a booker, okay? He, like, in terms of being a booker and booking to the future and neglecting the fact that nobody's going to see your shows, nobody's going to know that they're happening, and nobody's going to show up for them. Like, do you have to ignore that idea? Okay, there's no better platform for Gabe to do this angle than to do it on a show that's had more attention than probably any Dragon Gate USA show in the last two-plus years. Since what? Phoenix? If not before that. To set forth what's going to be the main storyline for the next year. But, the problem with that, at least my problem with that, is that it's going to lead to a bunch of shows, and I know I already said this, that nobody knows are happening, that nobody's going to go to, and that a very few select people are going to watch. So what exactly did you accomplish? And so, like, does Gabe, is he supposed to ignore that? Is he supposed to, like, embrace the idea and just say, fuck it, we're not going to worry about those shows? And look, I mean, it's not really that much of a secret why they don't have any attention surrounding them or any buzz. They don't even have any shows announced right now. It's just one example. So it's like, so Gargano turned heel, and it was this, like, big angle after, you know, having, like, this 15-plus month, you know, like, face title run. And it's like, all right, so what's next? We don't know. So, you know, it's tough. It, it's tough. It's got to be tough for Gabe. You know, I give him the benefit of the doubt, but, or I give him credit that, that, like he's in a, he's in a tough position, but then he says a lot of stupid things as people anybody that knows me knows how I feel about Gabe, 
and how I feel about some of the things that he says, but that I do realize and recognize that he's in a tough position sometimes. And maybe I'm completely off base here with these thoughts. I will say this too. It's a week after the match, over a week after the match, eight days or whatever it is. I don't see a lot of buzz for the match. I don't. I'm not seeing the retweets, match of the year, five-star match. I don't. And I think it's because of the finish. I will say that there are a handful of people that I know personally that say they are more interested in the product because of the Gargano turn, but at the same time, those people won't know about the shows coming up unless I tell them about them. And they're the people that are on Twitter every single day. And that's just a fact. And it's sad that it's that way, but that's the approach that Gabe and Sal decide to live by, and it's the one that's going to come to fruition where nobody knows. So, I mean, if they do a clean finish, and it generates this buzz of being like the match, and people go out of their way to see it, which which one is going to generate more buzz? Which one's going to generate more attention? I don't know. Personally, I mean, when it comes down to what I want personally, I hated the finish. But, like, you know, I'm going to give them credit and I'm going to look at it from at least what I perceive as both sides of it. And maybe I'm sure there's other ways that I could look at it and there's different arguments that people could present. But the match itself, I mean, up to the finish was incredible. I mean, JP, live for it and Davey Shingo, he was pretty confident, like, 30 minutes after the show that it was better than Davey and Shingo. So I think, you know, and I think that was, like, the, what, top second or third match voted that year in terms of like match of the year online the next day we got mercury rising 2013 i thought this show very much at least in the first half it very much felt like okay we put all our eggs in the bas- in the proverbial basket like the first night and we tr- hit a home run so and not to say that the guys took the show off but like this first half just felt like oh we had that awesome show okay take it easy guys and not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that. Tony Neeson, Soldier Ant, and I know I've skipped around some certain matches on certain shows because I have nothing to say about them. Tony Neeson, Soldier Ant, uh, unfortunately this was kind of a squash. Um, thought it could have been more, and there's no reason it couldn't have been considering Tony Neeson didn't work the first show. He was in a six-way the second night, and Gulak had a bit of a... Oh, spoiler. He had a bit of a... He had a bit of a... A, a workful weekend, I guess. No. Yeah, I guess he did. So, maybe it was fair to put him in this position after working, you know, a few times. I guess he worked three times. Um, Friday, twice Saturday. No. Twice Saturday, once... No, twice Friday, once Saturday. Apologies. Scott reading... Uh, but yeah, with Tony Nice, they did an angle on Evolve 19 introducing him as being the newest signee. He uh, had this big gent in a suit. Incredibly obese. Um, as like his bodyguard looks like they're going to introduce a stable with Tony Nese. Uh Tony Nese, uh I probably put my spill out there about him before I feel like he's one of the most underrated guys on the indies right now and it's about time that somebody started paying attention and I guess he'll get his opportunity now um, if uh, Gabe and Sal ever book any shows Scott Reed and Caleb Conley this was actually probably of the first four matches the most enjoyable Caleb Conley like breaks away from the scene it took exactly like how many hours like less than 48 hours maybe maybe, yeah a little less than 48 hours 
crowd's behind Caleb Conley. Saw him at best of the best last night. Thought he looked really good, honestly. And so, I mean, there's going to be something that I've always said. Caleb Conley's very talented. I think Scott Reed's okay. Not the biggest fan. Not as big of a fan as I am of Caleb Conley. And the crowd got behind him, and I thought they had a perfectly serviceable match. Super Smash Brothers, Cannon and Sammy Callahan, super disappointing. I think it, more than anything else, it had to do with Uno's shoulder, which I think is... He uh, aggravated it at DDT4 this year, which I guess was in January. Yeah, January. And uh, I think it's been bothering him, and it was clearly a problem in this match, and maybe that's why this match really... They only went like eight... Eight and a half, nine, ten minutes, no more than ten minutes, and I think that's probably the leading factor as to why. Kendrick and Chuck Taylor, I don't remember anything about this. Uh, the fray was a lot of fun. Um, crowd really wasn't into it that much. Um, the Young Bucks were the stars of the match, as they seem to be in most of the things that they do. Um, he, uh, Matt, Nick Jackson... Matt Jackson, I'm not sure which one, uh, replayed the three Mendes three spot with the tip over the ladder flip on top rope. He also did it at the TNA pay-per-view. Um, never gets less awesome. Uh, they super kicked the shit out of Christina Von Eri. She was the first one, I believe, eliminated. There was really only one ugly spot. Naturally, it came from Facade, and it wasn't even Facade's fault. The ladder pretty much gave on him when he did a springboard onto the ladder, and one of the rungs just, like, completely caved. Um... And then there was a couple of uh, brutal spots that I can't remember at the at the moment. And then it came down to Uha. Did it come down to Uha and the Bucks? I think it did, and he eliminated both of them. I don't think he looked very strong in doing so. I think he pinned one of them with a roll up, and then he hit his you know the Uha combination to beat the other one. I really think they should have brought it down to him and Fox, but maybe you don't want Fox to lose clean head up after winning the belt. <laughs> Um, oh, I did mention that um, that something happened after Fox won the belt and the Young Bucks came out to set up the match at Open the Ultimate Gate. So, like, they completely just, like, this guy, he wins by DQ. He wins because his opponent got distracted, and then he's completely overshadowed after he wins the belt. I mean, they couldn't make him look any less relevant and important. Orange Cassidy and John Davis was there. Uh... The crowd, like, they were pretty much did, like, this stare-off for, like, the first, like, for, like, half the match. It only went, like, four minutes, and the crowd chanted for it, so I guess it worked. The six-man with Gargano, Richwan, Ricochet, Shima, Ada, and Tomahawk TT was very good, delivered, certainly. Um, again, this is where the dynamic was kind of weird with, like, Gargano being a heel, Ricochet, Swan, faces, what's exactly going on here. Um... Ricochet got the fall on, I believe, Ida with a 630 splash, so he now gets a title match of his choosing at any point down the line within the WWN Live Universe or Dragon Gate Universe. I'm not sure which one. I'm sure it's whatever. Um, he's still feuding with AR Fox, by the way. Shingo and Tazawa delivered 23 minutes, 24 minutes, something like that. Um, exactly what I expected. The crowd did wake up for the last two matches, which is good. Uh, certainly. Um, it was kind of weird, because I thought they breezed through... I don't really think they needed the intermission on this show, because they... And I think a lot of people... And this maybe isn't fair, but... Because I know a lot of people like to tailgate and socialize at WrestleMania, but, like, before the show, but... I've been to two Sunday shows now. 
And it, it's it's always laughable to me that people worry about getting into WrestleMania on time so they don't want to go to the Sunday Dragon Gate USA show. After this show, I socialized for 30 minutes and went back to my hotel for an hour, four miles away, and made it to MetLife like 10 minutes, like, like 20 to 30 minutes before the pre-show. And same thing in Atlanta. Like, I remember people, like, they... They speci- like I know some people again they like to tailgate and they like to socialize but I know people specifically that didn't go to Dragon Gate USA in Atlanta because they didn't think that they would get into Wrestlemania on time we did Dragon Gate USA I believe we went to get something to eat and we walked right into Wrestlemania I was probably one of the first people in my seat um, maybe you know maybe every person that states that is because they want to tailgate and socialize before Wrestlemania hey completely understandable speaking of Wrestlemania Wrestlemania 29 from MetLife Stadium was a show. It was very average. It was very lame. It was very there. It was very forgettable. I think the biggest problem with WrestleMania the last three years, and arguably you could say, like, before that, like 25 and, yeah, 25 and, is really, and 26, is that it doesn't, well, 26 may be a little different. It doesn't feel like WrestleMania until The Undertaker's match. And that's not like a slide at him or his opponents. Like, that's not their fault. Um, and his match is always in... Like, I think the Hell in a Cell is kind of like at the halfway point of the show, but most of the time, his match is in the second half or very late in the show. So that's a big problem. I think WrestleMania, especially the last three years, desperately misses the money in the bank. Because the money in the bank, it's always a guaranteed at minimum very good match, a very fun match. And I think that it's always a good match to have in the first hour or in the first half of WrestleMania, even if nothing else delivers, to make people feel like it's WrestleMania because it's always super entertaining. And the last three years, in the first half of the show, there hasn't been anything super entertaining. There's barely been anything entertaining or anything above average. And so I think that when you have that money in the bank in the first half of the show, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, and those shows have other aspects to them, of course, different elements, but like I think it makes them a more well-rounded show. The last three WrestleManias would have benefited from having a money in the bank, and other than there being a money in the bank pay-per-view, there's no reason they couldn't have done a money in the bank on those shows. They did an eight-man last year. They did, like, a six-man at 27. There was a lot of people that got left off the show this year. And I think that's a good reason to do it, if nothing else. (laughs) You know? I was frustrated with this undercard because I felt every match was entertaining. Like, other than Henry and Ryback, which was the one bad match. Like, there was nothing really bad on the show, for the exception of that. I thought four of the first five matches were entertaining and I felt like the work in the match I thought it felt like they were working like it was Wrestlemania in terms of like their offense like it didn't feel like they were just doing stuff that they do on every other TV or on every other pay-per-view or on a house show granted I've never been to a house I've never been to a WWE house show so maybe it's a completely different alternate universe but uh, I I doubt that uh, I, I doubt that highly but when 
I mean, changing up your offense and doing unique spots or doing unique offense in any particular match isn't going to mean anything when the match still isn't put in the position to be anything more than just a 10-minute television match with different moves. Um, look, I know what I'm getting when I pay my money, when I pay for my ticket to go to WrestleMania, um, but still doesn't... I, I can't undersell, you know a lot of the problems that I feel like with WrestleMania, especially the last few years, um, and I've been to the last three. Granted, I thought last year was a, was a really strong show. The tag title match was a lot of fun. Okay, let's start with the six-man. The six-man was a lot of fun, I thought. Um, I did think the finish was a little anticlimactic. I don't think anybody bought the idea that Big Show would get pinned with a spear. I think if they would have done that spot as a near fall and then just went two or three minutes... I think it could have been a really fun, strong, open, memorable opener. Um, I wasn't even asking for the match that they had in Elimination Chamber. If they would have had a match a little less than they had at Elimination Chamber here in the opener, I think people would look at the show a lot differently because it would have gotten the show off to a good start. Then there would have been some, you know, get through whatever in the middle of the show type of stuff. Then you had Undertaker and Punk, and then you have Cena Rock, which, you know, I'll talk about. Um, I loved in the tag title match how they... And look... Um, much like this match, it was great seeing Daniel Bryan get a win at WrestleMania. Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins. Um, you know, I'll take that away from the show more than like pretty much anything else, other than Punk and Undertaker being very awesome. I loved how they played off the spot from Sheamus and Daniel La- da- uh, Daniel Bryan last year. Um, maybe this is just fogged memory. I thought Kane looked kind of bad in this match, but I've seen some people kind of. Um, uh, kind of praise his work in the match. Um, I think they could have spotlighted Big E a little bit better in this kind of setting. Um, but uh, it was a fun match. It was probably the funnest match on the show, other than Undertaker and Punk, of course. Fandango and Jericho was just Jericho doing a lot of stuff, carrying Fandango. I think with this match, a lot of people seem to have liked like they like this match more than the opener and the tag title match, which I just don't see at all. Um, unless you really like Jericho just doing moves on a guy. I think what this match told me more, or what I took away from this match more than anything else, was that Fandango is a distinctly average and competent worker. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, There was one highlight with him cutting off Jericho's springboard dropkick from the middle rope on the inside to his opponent, who's usually standing on the apron, and he hit a kick. I thought that was the highlight of the match, actually. Finish was horrible horribly done. Um, And this is a bit of a random kind of, not necessarily a ramp, but kind of an observation. And it goes without saying, like, being a superstar in professional wrestling far from means you have to be the best worker. But I really feel like with the way that developmental is going right now and guys are going to continue to show up there that are quality workers, and I think it's already been talked about you know, on Twitter and maybe even on the podcast I've mentioned it before where I just feel like in X amount of years, the roster is going to be overwhelmed with exceptional workers to the point where I think a guy like Fandango, now granted you know, everybody was humming his theme and everybody thinks he's a star now because of that, and that may very well be true, and I'm not discounting that people can't become stars without being even decent workers, and he may get better, you know, and with there being so many good workers in the WWE right now, like, I think it's all-time best 
personally. Maybe working those guys will make him better. Maybe he won't. Maybe he'll just stay the same guy, and maybe he'll still be a star because of that. But basically what I'm getting at is that I think it's going to be tough for average workers like Fandango to get over, and then not get over, but to to do well, because I think they're just going to be overwhelmed by a roster of people that is better than them. And that may be completely off base, but that's like something that I could see happening in like five years. It's like your average worker, and WWE still has several of them, not as many as they used to, but those average workers are going to have a tough time standing out because they're just going to be, because there's just going to be people that are flat out better. And I, normally there's people that are always better than those average workers, but not in this number. Um, and again, that was a bit random, but uh, it was something that I've been thinking about recently, and I don't know why I thought... Because I don't mind Fandango. I think he's fine. I, I don't think they did him any favors when they built him on TV. You know, not working. I mean, that was going to give him go-away heat immediately. Um, but that the humming stuff, you know, maybe it made him, and then I heard on SmackDown he didn't get any response at all. Uh, Henry and Ryback... Uh, they pretty much went the complete opposite, and I know I'm skipping around a little bit, they pretty much went the complete opposite direction that they should have with this match. The finish was hilarious, so at least I'll take that away from it. Del Rio and Swagger, I thought was fun. They seemed motivated. Nobody cared. Of course, I don't blame anybody. Um, I do find it quite humorous that even at WrestleMania, Swagger basically got the cut TV entrance. I mean, he did, right? I mean, they did a promo package, and he they came back, and he was already in the ring. Um, they went about 10, 10 and a half minutes, and I pretty much thought, and I know I've definitely talked about this before on, like, solo podcasts that I've done, which isn't too many on here, but um, Del, this was like every Del Rio pay-per-view match, minus like two minutes, and not that there's anything wrong with that, because they're always very solid to entertaining to good matches, but I just feel like they're never put in a position to be anything more than really solid, and this was another case of that, Uh, but I was entertained by it, I thought it was another solid match that just was never going to be anything more than a TV match, because that was the position that it was put in. Undertaker and Punk was awesome, like, more I think about it, the more I really like it, the more I like it, I should say. I'm still debating with myself if I think it was better than the Edge match from 24, but I definitely thought it was better than the Batista match. I thought it was better than the first Triple H match by leaps and bounds. There were just so many things that Punk... Punk was brilliant, and that's not to discredit Undertaker or to... Hopefully, I'm not coming off like too much of a big CM Punk fan, because I am obviously a massive CM Punk fan, but he just proved in this match why, you know, and I know it's very cliche even for a person like me to throw out there, but why he may very well be the best in the world. Um, his mannerisms, uh, his, and and this is usually on both guys, but his, his more extended singles matches, especially some of the recent ones with Cena, his tendency, like, when I watch a CM Punk match, I feel like he scouted his opponent which I don't feel like when I watch most big matches. It's just like, oh, he's going to do this spot because that's what he does, and this guy's going to do this spot because that's what he does. My favorite spot in this match, believe it or not, and there was several to take away from it, was when Undertaker does his drop down in the corner and then comes off, and I'm sure other people have reversed it, but, you know, being the blind CM Punk fan I am, I'm going to recognize this one. Um, No, that's not really why, but probably just forgot more than anything else. And he comes off the rope with the big boot, and Punk hits the leg lariat. I thought that was incredible. Like, I popped so huge for that live. Like, that was the only thing I popped for on the whole show. 
the GTS into the Tombstone spot was awesome. Um, the old school spot from Punk was awesome. Uh, the urn near fall was great. I also preferred this match to several other maybe recent Undertaker matches because it wasn't finisher heavy. Undertaker didn't even kick out of a GTS. Now, he arguably completely no-sold one, but that's okay. Um, you know, you could argue the momentum off the rope into the tombstone. You know, that's a, that's a valid reason, valid reasoning. Um, but, you know, and maybe they were just saving the finisher fest for the main event, and that was certainly something that was very prevalent in the main event, so understandable. But, uh, yeah, it was just... it. I don't want to say more smartly worked than a lot of recent... Un than, like, especially the Triple H match from 27, which was my first WrestleMania. I was there live. It was, like, the best match on the show. So, like, you know, it's not me playing any sort of bias either, which I think gets in the way sometimes with people. Um, but, yeah. Like, so to say the least, and I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things that I'm forgetting about the match that I really, really liked... But uh, I just named, like, four or five things that, like, completely stood out. And that's more things than I can name for, like, probably... And not to discredit, like, the Shawn Michaels matches, but... Because those matches were probably... Were... Solid... Like, far and away better than this match, in my opinion. Um, or at least solidly ahead of the Punk match. But, um... Is that, like, you could take all the spots I liked in this match combined over, like, all the Undertaker matches the last few years, and I just, like, enjoyed that many more things about the Punk match, and it was usually because of Punk. So, that's why I kind of call him brilliant. Lesnar and Triple H, I thought the one thing this match had going for it was it would be better than the SummerSlam match. I was wrong. It was very boring. It was very plodding. Long... I thought Lesnar was really good in it. Triple H has a tendency to have these types of matches. And it's not necessarily that he has a tendency to have these types of matches. Well, he does, but, like, in the worst spot possible as well. Like, following a certain match on some shows. Like, he just, like, he had to follow Undertaker at 25. He had to follow, you know, Hogan and Rock at 18. Uh, Booker T, the Booker T match in the middle of WrestleMania 19. I'm sure that followed something that was a lot better. Well, certainly a lot better. Um feel like there's one or two other examples, and I mean, certainly there are other underwhelming Triple H performances at WrestleMania that kind of have that stigma, um, but uh, I also, I'm not a worker, and of course I'm not a worker at all, but uh, sometimes I feel like there are moments in a match where you could really capture a crowd, and I think they missed it. Now, whether they wanted to go for it just because I think they had already done an F5 near fall, but I really felt like when Triple H had the Kimura on, if they had went to an F5, they finally would have got the crowd, but... Uh, they kind of teased it, but they they didn't go with it. Maybe it's not physically possible. I mean, those are two massive dudes. So to go from a Kamora position to an F5 position and like one motion uh, might be a little tough. So this match was just there. It's going to be completely forgettable. I think it's going to be remembered as another kind of like Triple H dud in the middle of uh, or late in a WrestleMania more than anything else. Cena Rock was fine. I really don't remember much about it. I wasn't really paying much attention live. It was better than or it wasn't as good as last year. The biggest observation and most interesting thing that I took away from this match was the fact that I was sitting in the nosebleeds and people were actively out loud complaining that this match was all finishers. I think there's something to be said, of course, for it being the Northeast and your, your average fan that's going to be sitting in the nosebleeds at WrestleMania in the Northeast is probably going to be much more intelligent. So I think those comments maybe aren't as surprising as, say, if it had happened in Miami. 
um, where I was sitting around like a lot of families that were clearly locals as opposed to this show where I was sitting around. And maybe it was just my section because I know people were sitting in other sections when I stated this on Twitter and they said they had a very opposite uh an opposite reaction. I knew JP was in the section over for me, and he said it was very similar to mine, where people were outlined complaining. Um, but I mean, you know, I mean, in terms of Cena winning, I mean, there's really not a whole lot to say. I mean, back to the status quo. Said that after the Royal Rumble. Um, now we're gonna get Cena Ryback, and you know, I guess Del Rio and Swagger, or Del Rio, I guess Del Rio and Swagger's, I guess they're kind of done with that. It did bother me that they did, and this usually wouldn't bother me, but it did really bother me that they did the Ziggler cash-in on Raw just because Mania was so forgettable. Um, And I think if you just do it on a bigger stage, it's going to be more memorable. With that said, I think the crowd was so awesome for that show, and I did not attend. I was actually in the air at the time on a plane when, uh, when Raw started or when Raw was going on for, you know, the first 30 to 45 minutes of the show. Uh, I didn't see it till you know, hours later. Um, but maybe it will be more memorable for, for Ziggler to win it on that show. But I always thought that you would want to do a cash-in on a pay-per-view. One, because you want to give people more of their money's worth. And because it would be more memorable and it would be a bigger deal. And it would be like you could point to, like, an exact year and an exact pay-per-view as opposed to, like... It's like, oh, remember when, like, The Miz cashed in on that Raw, like, two weeks after Survivor Series or whatever it was? And, like, I can't even remember most of the cash-ins that have happened on TV. I remember that one for whatever reason, probably because I was complaining for very similar reasons that they didn't do it at the pay-per-view when it very much would have been a... would have been something that they, uh, would have been something that they could have done. So, uh, yeah, WrestleMania 29, again, completely forgettable, um... Now I'm now like one for three in WrestleManias, which I'm not too excited about. Next year it's going to be in New Orleans, which is a very favorable trip for me, so should be there again. Uh, I assume they'll go back to the West Coast eventually, but it's really looking like they're going to go to Orlando again, and Atlanta is going to be like in contention to get WrestleMania in the next few years again. I think personally they should wait for them to build the stadium which is imminent like within the next year or two and then I think it would make more sense for them to come back here for Wrestlemania but hey I'm not going to complain there was something else that I wanted to go off on that uh, I kind of lost in my rambling but uh, I want to thank you guys for listening uh, freeadmissionfr.com follow me on twitter at Ben Turpin I don't think I plugged my twitter enough on here but um, anyways uh, I'll talk to you again soon